Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. We spent the last few episodes constructing a foundation for the Reminders of Grace podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you that have joined in along the way. It means so much to me that you would choose to support this endeavor and me. Our first episode was an introduction to the podcast and myself. I laid out what this whole thing is going to be about. And then we moved into talking about who Jesus is, what the gospel is, and last episode we got real about the church. On this episode, as we close out just the first part of this season with a look at another foundational pillar, we're going to take some time to examine the scriptures. Much like our previous episodes, this in no way could be an exhaustive study. There are series worth of episodes we could take to walk through these topics. But what we have striven to do here is be concise in our time, concrete in our content, and crystal clear in our presentation. And so, with that being the case, let's get after it. I want to share a hot reality with you. Hot being humble, open, and transparent. As I said in the first episode, that I would be that way here on these episodes. I'm going to share something with you. And here it is. I am unashamedly and unapologetically a huge fan of the television show Gilmore Girls. You are more than welcome to make fun of me. You can roast me through messages, texts, or emails. I am very much okay with it. I, but I want to share with you a scene from the show that I'm going to use as a springboard for this conversation. So on the show, Lorelai, played by Lauren Graham, and her daughter Rory are attending a weekly Friday night dinner at Lorelai's parents' home. Richard and Emily, Lorelai's parents, use this as an opportunity to kind of force family time. And during the course of the dinner, an extremely random question, as per usual, is posed by Lorelai. She said, where did all of the anvils go? She said, anvils were so common, they were present in every old Western movie. They were used in cartoons, so even kids would have known what an anvil was. And then her parents just both dismissed it as a ridiculous conversation. But again, as per usual, she wouldn't let it go. So she asked again, where did all of the anvils go? She went further and she said, are they being hid from us in a secret facility? And her father, Richard, an extremely well-learned and educated Yale graduate and businessman said, well, they most likely fell into disuse with the advent of new technology and thus were melted down and are gone. Well, her response was, but they're not supposed to be able to be melted down. They were designed to withstand the red-hot heat from the hammer of the town blacksmith. And one of the reasons that this stuck out to me almost immediately as I was brainstorming topics 
for discussion on the podcast is because it almost scarily and indirectly reflects how the scriptures, how the written word of God is viewed today. The anvil was the centerpiece of the blacksmith's workshop. It was where all of his work took place. Iron and other metals would be heated over the live flames of a kiln, and then he would take them out and shape them into horseshoes, wheel spokes, finishing hardware for doors, and so much more. He or his apprentice would take a series of hammers and mallets, and with his knowledge and careful eye would smash out these pieces. The anvil endured an overwhelming amount of abuse. It was hit vigorously, it was heated by contact excessively, but it stayed as the central item of his workshop. A day would seldom go by wherein he wouldn't use it. His livelihood depended on him using it. His longevity hinged on him using it. His legacy hung on him teaching his apprentice how to use it and how to respect it as well. Burning metal could not merely be formed and fashioned precisely by his bare hands, no matter how tough they make Orlando Bloom look in Kingdom of Heaven. The anvil's presence and the blacksmith's knowledgeable use of it were jointly necessary for the blacksmith's success. The anvil's presence and his knowledgeable use of it were jointly necessary for his success. And if you've been a follower of Jesus or a Christian for some time, you might be able to see the connection being made here. If maybe you wouldn't identify as such, I want us over the course of this episode to examine just two statements that we must acknowledge as truth regarding the written word of God. And here's how we'll phrase it. We must acknowledge the truth that the written word stands authoritatively preeminent. It stands authoritatively preeminent when you purchase an automobile or any type of vehicle for that matter. It comes with a very important piece of literature. It's not the title, although that's pretty important. This is not leisure reading, it's not decoration, and it's certainly not a paperweight. This is designed to tell you everything that you, as an average consumer, would need to know about your vehicle. It is the owner's manual. In a world and in the dispensation of Google and YouTube, the owner's manual existed long before. It was meant to be what you as the consumer ran to in order to learn more about your vehicle, in order to understand settings, in order to troubleshoot problems. It was your authority. Well, on an infinitely grander scale, that's the written word. Also note that when we say the written word, we also mean the Bible. We also mean the scriptures. They're all interchangeable. But for the sake of crystal clarity, I will favor personally calling it the written word. I'm going to share a verse with you. It's from a letter that God used the Apostle Paul to write to a young pastor friend of his named Timothy. It was the second of his two letters to him. He said this, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, there's a crazy amount to unpack there, but solely and exclusively for the sake of time, we won't go too deep in this moment. That first phrase, that first half, is really where I want to focus right now, though. The first two words, all scripture, and this gives you the scope. 
It emphasizes that the totality of Scripture is all on the same level. If you were to ask about a thousand people picked at random, what is the most popular verse in the Bible? And this is something that they often do, but about 30 to 40 years ago, the overwhelming response would have come back John 3, 16. It was at sporting events, it was at concerts, it was everywhere. And whether you could quote it word for word or you just knew the overall message of that reference, it was everywhere. But there was a shift in the 90s and the early 2000s, and that answer has most often become Matthew 7, 1, which states, Judge not or you'll be judged. Now, we're not here to split hairs or discuss the nuances of this change or of those verses, but the focus is that both of those verses, within the totality of Scripture, are on the same level. They are both equal in importance, impression, and inspiration. Which brings us to the next phrase. All scripture, then the next four words, is inspired by God. While the first gives you the scope, this gives you the source. It emphasizes the origin of scripture. And it tells you that it's all from the same place. Those four words in English would have looked like one word in the language in which it was written. Inspired does not mean that it is all feel-good stuff. It's not an adaptation of our concept of inspirational. In the days in which the word was written, the language and culture was different. When someone died, they would say that this person, they would insert their name, expired on this date. What that meant was that they breathed out their last breath of life at this time. But conversely, inspired meant that life was breathed into it. So what God is saying is that all of Scripture as a whole, all of Scripture is life breathed into words by God. Hear me, not a single other piece of literature, not a one can authoritatively and accurately claim or advocate for that reality. Just the Bible. It is not a book of stories. It is not just the writings of ancient men. It is not a collection of contradictions. They are the very life-giving and living words of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word, the written word, the written word of God is alive and powerful. The works of Shakespeare, Dickens, Twain, Poe, Doyle, Seuss, or even Sparks, if you're into that sort of thing, they are all lifeless words. They may stir up emotions. They may even provide knowledge and limited insight. They may even make us feel good for a time, but none of them can provide a lasting change to your life. They are all just words on a page. But the written word is alive. None of those other things will stand above the authority of the written word of God. And so here's just a brief list, a very brief list of a few things said about the written word. It's eternal. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. It's exalted. You have exalted your word and your name above all. It's exact. Not one dot, which was the smallest of accents, or one mark, the smallest of lines, will pass or will fail to come true from the law until all of it is fulfilled. 
it's enlightening. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. It's empowering faith, that trust. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's established, sanctify or progressively change them in the truth. Your word is truth. And there's so, so much more. But what we have spent so much time repetitively and unapologetically setting forward is that the written word of God is the final authority for our lives. And we must acknowledge that. But we also must acknowledge the truth that the written word remains appropriately practical. It remains appropriately practical. I feel like we live in a day where vintage is trendy, where trends are cyclical. Think about how the fashion of the late 80s and 90s is somehow popular again. People out here with fanny packs and flared jeans, windbreakers making a horde comeback, and my least favorite, classic rock band t-shirts. It doesn't particularly matter to me where you land on these things, outside of maybe the last one. But want to know what is likely not going to make an epic comeback? Landlines, payphones, and dial-up internet. Now, if I just mentioned three things to you that you have never heard of, that is a bittersweet moment for me. On the one hand, that dates me more aggressively than I would care to accept. But also, I love that this is reaching the next generation. But do you know why those things don't really exist anymore? Because they just aren't practical anymore. People have found faster, more readily accessible, farther-reaching ways to communicate and to exercise productivity. Now, I would imagine that you could add a number of different things to a list like that were you to compile one for yourself. But you know what you would have to have strikingly absent from that list? The written word of God. We already touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to focus in here and dive a little deeper. The written word is not something that will fall into disuse because something newer and better came along that can match the power it has on our lives. Though physically penned and assembled in two volumes of 66 books on three continents over a period of 1,600 years by nearly 40 different human scriptors in three different languages, its authorship and its inspiration, its living and life-giving nature is the eternal holy God. So if its author is eternal, then it would just make sense that his word would be such as well. If its author is the giver and sustainer of all life, then it would just make sense that his word would be life-giving and sustaining as well. If its author is still actively working in the lives of his created order today, then it would just make sense that his word would be doing the same as well. Many critics have tried to dispute its claims, to doubt its promises, to deny its truths, to discredit its validity, and to even discourage its reading. But all of these attacks have left the written word unscathed. 
So we're going to go back to that verse that we mentioned earlier in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. We got the scope of all scripture. We got the source of it's inspired by God. But here's where we get the system of what it means for us today. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And here's the best and simplest way that I've arrived at how to boil this down. The totality of the written word, life given by God, is both now and forever good, helpful, and advantageous for us to know what is right, to know what is wrong, to know how to make it right, and to know how to keep it right. So where does the rubber meet the road in all of this? Where is that point of contact? Well, then the question arises, what am I and what are you doing with the written word? I have not shared my opinion on the Bible. I've only shared the truth. I'm not asking what do you think or how do you feel about the scriptures? The question is, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Is it something that we reject altogether? Are we relegating it to a place of lesser importance? Or are we reading and studying it? Because here's a sad reality. The anvil of the written word has disappointingly gone missing in many churches, in many Christian circles, and in the lives of many Christians. It's fallen into disuse because a motivational talk is more comfortable. It's gone because a traditional preference is more conceivable. It's been removed in older and newer circles alike because a current event or a social issue is just more captivating to an audience. But it was never supposed to go away. It was meant to always stand up over and against comfort, traditional preference, current events, and social issues. It focuses on a living, holy God and King of the Ages. It tells of the power of his might and the worthiness of his majesty. It shows us how we can know him deeper, love him more, serve him better, walk with him closer. It provides us an all-inclusive, invitational message of redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. It lays out in earnest an eternity to come in relation to this beautiful and wonderful Savior. And it clarifies with specificity an eternity to come in rejection of this same Lord. It is not an obstinate list of commands and harsh rules. It's an open letter of communication for a healthy relationship. It was not for a life lived in decades, but for a life lived in days. Each one dependent on it, delighted in it, and desperate for it. It's just as true today as it will be tomorrow, and as it was a thousand years ago. It does not, cannot, will not, and must not change. Nothing compares to opening the written word for yourself. Not time in nature, not a quote, not a devotional, not a sermon, not a social media post, and certainly not this podcast. 
At some point in mainline personal development, we stopped needing and wanting someone to feed us. And we started demanding that we do it ourselves. We stopped having just milk and we needed solid food. And that's exactly how our relationship should be with the scriptures, with the written word. When it comes to the anvils, real talk, I'm really not sure where they all went. But when it comes to the anvil of the written word, we need to make sure it doesn't go anywhere. It needs to be the centerpiece of our lives, our community, and our churches. We need to run to it, love it, use it, and pass it on. Another hot moment for us, humble, open, and transparent, the conviction in preparing and even sharing this episode is palpable for me. Because to be honest with you, I don't have this perfect. I struggle to make it and keep it in its proper place of priority. I've gone days without it. And to be honest with you, even more recently than I'd care to admit. But we're growing together here. This is not a matter of expertise, just a matter of exposition. I'm just sharing this truth with you. And so maybe you're listening and you would not identify as a follower of Jesus or a Christian. Maybe you're just trying this out because you're a friend. Maybe a friend of yours shared this episode with you and you're just respecting them and listening. Maybe you would identify as a seeker or maybe just someone who's super skeptical of the Bible. I would encourage you to reach out. I'd be honored to connect with you. I would love to answer any questions you might have. And I promise you it would be in a very safe and a very gracious space. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell me about it. You can connect with me at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review and click on that subscribe or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. As you head into your week, As you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater. Greater.